Hey, my name is Adam Whitescarver, and I'm the executive director at the Chattanooga House of Prayer, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for listening today, and I hope it encourages you and gives you perspective to see the beauty and the diversity of God's church, both in Chattanooga and the church at large. Thanks for listening. Greetings, everyone. We are grateful that you are joining us for this season two of A Beautiful Church podcast. And with me, or actually I am with him because we're recording at the Basilica in downtown Chattanooga, is the Reverend Father David Carter. Did I say say it all right or do you want to go by Father Reverend? Uh, Well, technically, I I think they colloquially would be Reverend Father, but we just say Father David Carter. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he is the priest here at the Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul. Correct. Which I I know the fun date. It was what it was. It was June twenty ninth, eighteen ninety. That this yes. church got started. Uh, there's a backstory. Well, uh, so eighteen fifty two, the parish was established. But the you didn't parish, know who you were. Well, well, the parish was established, so it had a pastor and it had a community. But no but, name. Well, it did, St. Peter and Paul. Oh. But the church building was not dedicated until 1890, and there's a great history in the history of Chattanooga and with the Civil War and generals and standing yeah. orders. You so, guys do tours yeah, every now and then, right? Do. do you still do the tours? We do, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, should yeah, do those. Absolutely. Those, those are uh, stop by. I, well, yeah. arrange for a tour. We have do, we have a lady that's our docent director, and she can take you on a tour if you arrange it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that most people won't know what a docent is, uh, like a museum. Like, uh, so, so, uh, it's not just the a museum, person who shows you the, but uh, you know, it leads you. Yes, and and the, a docent you. is usually the person that shows you the exhibits at the museum or the art, and it, it, it comes have, it from has Latin. Latin, of course. So David Carter <laughs> always uses Latin. I, I mean, teach that, Latin, you know that. So that is the thing yeah. that he's going to say. So we are less than two minutes in, and he's already <laughs> firing away at the Latin. You know, I'm reading a, a translation of Gregory the Great's Pastoral Rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a it's not uh, the guy is clearly a deeply Latin guy. I mean, yeah. And so there are, I mean, there's, there are on every page, multiple words. I have no clue what they are. And I'm like, I'm almost guaranteed there's a Latin root now. That's what I found out. Cause I'm looking Correct. these words up and he, he's any word where there's a cognate, he is stealing it and just making this like, no one's ever heard of this English word, buddy. But uh, my vocabulary might be growing just a little bit. <laughs> See, you're learning. I would say if you learn Latin, you know you, you learn you know it all. Western civilization was built on this language. So, so if you've got kids, SATs, ACTs, going. study the Latin. And if you're in and Chattanooga, Greek. you can come and study under David Carter, who is a <laughs> at our homeschool co-op. <laughs> you know, I mean, just take an extra bonus class. Yeah. There you uh, go. <laughs> Because you'll know Latin well with this guy. He he just throws it out. I mean, literally, you don't have a conversation without him or mentioning something in Latin. Uh, so two minutes. That's, that might be a record, two minutes in. Hey, I'll try and beat it next time. Okay, yeah. Uh, so we are here to work on ending a 500-year-old argument. And that already, I feel like, puts us in the first steps of controversy. Which, by the way, they were making this argument in Latin 500 years ago, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but we're not we're not really going to argue in Latin. Uh, though, they, so, though they wrote the Bible, or they they translated the Bible into German, 
Yes. They still were speaking. They were still Latin arguing in, the, in Latin. In the academia. You know, I've never really thought about that before, but yes, they were arguing in Latin. Uh, they, they argued in a plethora of languages. <laughs> well uh, done. That's, yes. that's Greek, actually, yeah. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw out a word. Uh, uh, so this is the goals for this are to move in the direction of Christ's prayer that we would all be one so that the world would know that Christ was sent of the Father. Amen. And that we would love one another so that people would recognize that we follow Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, there are going to be people that are listening that will think, I am not a Christian and that I go to an ecclesiastical-like community, although that's probably a harsher term from the Catholic side. But I I would say there are Catholics that... Within the sphere of Catholics. Uh, no, I'm going I too mean, harsh. Catholics there, are more. There, there may be the charge of like heresy or <laughs> right. schism or, or th- things like that, but it would not be, be to say that you weren't Christian. I mean, and the church has, has taught over the past 50 years, and I think rightly so, that our separated our brothers and sisters uh, are still Christian. Are, this is well, absolutely. Vatican II, which was be, a big church council. And it's not like we changed anything; we just changed emphasis. We, it's, it, right. This is this is the big thing. Doctrine didn't change; it develops, right? It, and so the, our understanding of how we treat our fellow separated brothers and sisters is what we would call it. But it's kind of like you may be on the outs with your brother, but you're still family, right? Right. That brings up all sorts of pictures in lots of people's heads, uh, and then. There are multiple Protestants I know that are going to be thinking, well, David Carter's not a Christian, and that I even called him father uh, at the beginning of this episode might be bringing to mind, you know, just anger for some people. But, so let's give a few disclaimers. Uh, David is not going to be agreeing with me on everything that I say, and I am not going to be agreeing with David on everything he says. We aren't, we're not aiming for that per se. Uh, but we are going to talk about things and at least have an understanding. And uh, we're not, we're not, we're okay with people giving feedback here, but we're not looking to stir up an argument or create lots of straw men and arguments that we're going to be mean, being mean to each other. Our, our goal is to model good conversation that can happen among right. Catholics and Protestants. Well, it's kind of like uh, on the political sphere. We used to be able to have good civil debate. In our country, yes, uh, where people disagreed about the best way to alleviate poverty or um, help the deal with immigration, immigrant, you know, yeah. but it doesn't mean that we're enemies because we disagree. Yes. And I think this is what we're we're needing to do is is to break down the the the, the walls of enmity. We can have disagreements and even deep, profound, substantial disagreements. But that doesn't mean that we can then therefore be uncharitable. So I think this is one of the things, you know, we get ourselves all righteous. I know the truth, and then therefore you're evil because you don't believe it the same way. Right. Well, okay, let's, let's, let's take a little bit more of a humble approach to uh, our, 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 what, what God wants from us. Right. right. And that is unity as you started right. off with. Uh, so, so, David. Oh, voice crack. That is that is not since mm, that's that's rough. Uh, Early morning, huh? Yeah, it's maybe I'm going to blame it on that. They um, so because people don't know you necessarily. 
who are you and why should we believe that you know what you're talking about as a Catholic? Because I'm pretty sure I've talked to a priest or two before that I don't think they actually did know what they were talking about as a Catholic. So why should I believe that you're a priest that knows what you're talking about and that I should listen to you? Can you give me any justification? Okay, good. Yes. So Besides I, the Latin. I would say, well, I mean, if you know Latin, then you must be. You've got to be a good yeah. guy. Um, I would say that because I was educated at the time that I was ed- educated, that there has been a lot of of more um, solid understanding of the faith. A lot of things were happening in the world in the middle part of the 20th century. Revolutions, um, cultural upheaval, um, intellectual uh, crisis, crises, crises. And it, it infected the church also. And, 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 you know, following the great up, upheaval of the, of the 1960s and the 70s, even within the church, which that was the era that we had one of our ecumenical councils, the second Vatican council, you know, one in a long string going all the way back to Nicaea, 325, right? So this is, was it the 21st? Or 20, 21st Ecumenical Council? I'm pulling mean, that out of my hair. Let me find a Catholic to ask you a question of. <laughs> well, one that's not it's very good It's in the good 20s. I do know it's yeah. the 20s, and I think that's right. I thought it was 21. Anyway, this great upheaval happened, and there were, and, and, and the Holy Spirit was involved in, in, in this council, and the, the problem is, just like with, it, with everything, even things that are good can be corrupted and 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 made bad and a lot of people took the baton of vatican ii and ran beyond the finish line and kept running and you know they talk about not only the the council the 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 words of the council but then the spirit of the council and that's where people just started it it became the zeitgeist the spirit of the time see i do german too Mm -hmm. so it became the, the the spirit of the time uh, instead of the spirit of the gospel. And there are legitimate critiques of what happened after the council. Uh, and I'm, I'm one to, to, to say that. Now I'm looking 50 years beyond. Now, why I preface it this way is because even in the seminary, there was this infection of worldliness and infection of, of like, not false thoughts, but like erroneous thoughts, uh, that, uh, thoughts gone too far afield. Um, and so there were a lot of priests that were educated uh, in things that the church does not teach and never taught. And it was only speculated the church might, could, would teach these things. Um, and the seminary formation at the time of like the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s, was kind of a grab bag. And some people got good education and some people didn't. Now, by the time I went to seminary, 97, gosh, can you believe that? Oh. Yeah. I was uh, uh, the 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 catechism of the Catholic Church uh the 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 issue the 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 uh edition that came out in the 90s had been issued uh basically saying no no this we we actually do believe what we've said that we always believe and teach and so the catechism of the Catholic Church came out and a lot of the kind of chaos academically that was happening started to kind of fall down a little bit. This was really I mean I John Paul II was raised up for a yes. such a time as this for the Catholic Church too. He he was yes. the best synthesizer of Vatican II. I I mean I don't I think anybody could have imagined right. as far as holding the the previous line of the truth that the Church has upheld right. and yet embracing this outward 
Yes. Uh, Evangelical, yep. you know, to the world, yep. agentes. Yep. You know, um, sorry, it, it, it really yeah, is the, yeah. in the I DNA. Know, that's really good. Agentes. <laughs> I have to even, Do you want to tell to people, people what agentes means? To the people. There we go. Gentiles. We, go. We, we get I'll the word gentile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I'll have anyway. a Latin buzzer. Y'all are going to be so smart after listening to this podcast. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, John Paul II. Well, so you, you you mentioned Gregory the Great. Right. At a great time of... Uh, of, of um, Turmoil in the world. The Roman Empire had collapsed. Uh, you know what, what's happening, and he comes in, and he's called out of his monastery to be the great leader uh, that reforms the church, but also uh, gives gives um, impetus to a new founding of civilization, a steadying hand right. uh, on on the ship of of Western civilization. Gregory the Great. Okay, we we there's people that have given the accolade great to, to Pope Saint John Paul II. Right. And so John Paul the Great, and John Paul II the Great. Uh, I think that there is reason. His the papal biographer George Weigel has written a lot of books about uh, uh, John Paul II, and he was he's the one that's really kind of promoted that that um, accolade of the Great. So because of his work to steady the church, really, uh, that's the that's the context in which you were educated. Isn't there some kind of um Phrase among Catholics where they say we're JP's kids or something like that. Well, so they would say there's a generation. You know, you have like Gen, Gen X, Gen Y, or all, all these right. things. Well, in the church too, uh, th- that I would be probably considered uh, a JP two priest or a JP two okay. Catholic in the sense of I was educated, formed uh, by the magisterial teaching. Sorry, that's Latin too, but the, the, mm-hmm. the teaching authority that expressed through John Paul II, his encyclical letters, his, his trips, his, his speeches, um, his catechesis, the theology of the body, uh, you know, his, his takes on social doctrine, his definitive understandings of, of specific moral issues, mm-hmm. um, that, that gave clarity in the time of obscurity. Yes. Right. And so we, I, I was kind of like the last of the sort of JP2. I was ordained a priest under Benedict, but only barely. I was at John Paul II's funeral because oh. I was studying in Rome. I was there and it was, I was already ordained a deacon at that point. I was to be ordained a, a priest on July 1st of that year, 2005. He died in May, was it? He died, uh, April. April. Is okay. that something? Uh, mm, April. It was yeah, and it was like Divine Mercy Sunday, which is the Sunday after Easter. That's kind um, of a nice trick that you guys have that it, with these church calendar dates. You have absolutely. something to mark. Yeah, it's, yeah. You're like that's Little the point. Posts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's the point. Well, that like uh, Saint Wenceslas, good Saint Wenceslas yes. went down yes. on the feast of Stephen, September, yeah. or December twenty sixth, right, day after Christmas. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, so there is John Paul. The, see, I sing too. Yeah, yes, we, we should sing every now and yeah. then on this podcast. Um, so John Paul II died the year that I got ordained a priest. And so Benedict XVI was the Pope gloriously reigning at the time when I first said Mass and offered Mass as a priest. Gotcha. So just barely, though. Okay, so you would be uh, among, I guess... Uh, Catholics, you'd even be considered probably a more conservative Catholic priest. Yeah, and this is the term uh, we, we put not political, political terms. Yeah, yeah, it's not a political thing. It what is you, adherence to traditional doctrine as yes. opposed to a more liberal. What what, what John Paul II uh, was doing, and what Benedict XVI, uh, that's Joseph Ratzinger, uh, Cardinal right. Joseph Ratzinger, became Benedict XVI. Um, what he termed the hermeneutic of continuity. 
Oh, man. That's like, bing, million dollar word there. Hermeneutic is a biblical term, right? So the lens by which you interpret whatever you're looking at. Okay, so it's, it's your perspective. And so... We would look at, I would look at it, I th- I'm very much in the, in this camp of thought, this, this way of thinking about the world, the hermeneutic of continuity. We have in, we're a revealed religion, Christianity is. Right. God reveals himself to us. And so we are the inheritors of what we call the deposit of faith. And we are the stewards to bring that deposit into the future. Right. right. So we have we we're not like it's uh, like we're just backwards looking people. We are the analogy is a rowboat. Rowboat. Which way do you face when you're rowing a boat? You face backwards. Right. But which way are you going? Forwards. Right. Interesting. And, I've never heard that analogy. Yeah. And so that's the that's the the analogy of we got to get to the other shore, but we can only do it by orienting ourselves from what has come from behind. There's wisdom in our ancestors, right. what G.K. Chesterton would call the democracy of the dead. The democracy of the dead. I that's like his. That, def- yeah. That's his defensive tradition. Yeah, and this just to be you know keep Protestants in tune with this conversation. If you go to John chapter seventeen, Jesus prays for the unity of the church, but he prays for the unity of the church, and he starts. I think it's in uh, seventeen twenty. He's praying not only for those that are. Uh, with him, but those that are to come, and he prays that they would all be one. So he's not just looking yes. for unity among the church in present time. He is looking for a unity of the church throughout all times. And if you're if you're still a good Protestant, you're saying, "Well, wait a minute. Uh, I thought we're we're bucking some things here." Well, the what's called the magisterial. That is the, uh, teaching, is the authority. teaching authority. Magisterial teacher, right? The magisterial. Uh, reformers, that is like Martin Luther, John Calvin, those kinds of guys with it, we would know those names. Uh, they're, they're the guys that said we are, they, they would claim, now this is where David and I are probably going to have some disagreement here, and, but I would agree with him on some of these points. Uh, that, but they would say we, we only did things that the church has always believed. We are going back to what the church has always believed in the Catholic Church, they would say, uh, got off the rails a bit, and we're trying to get it to come back. The The idea for the Reformers, by the way, and I, I do think this is important to say, uh, was to reform the church. It was not to split the right. church. And I, I want to at least get Protestants to reclaim their heritage of saying, if our goal is to reform the church, mm-hmm. not to split the church, then we have done something terribly wrong in that we don't even think about uh, a, a Catholic idea mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, it was uh, Peter Lightheart's written this book called The End of Protestantism. Mm. And he's saying it in the sense that he's, he's well, if we do a, If we do God's plan, it would end. A, yeah. a double entendre mm-hmm. of ending uh, Protestantism like this should come to an end. But also, what was the goal? Mm-hmm. Of Protestantism. So if we're thinking outside of at least lowercase c, Catholicity, mm-hmm. we've got a serious problem. We, we have ceased to be even what we began to be, and we've become a totally separate monster that is not good. Yeah. Uh, so, so if we're talking about reforming, we should be having conversations across the table with each other still. We shouldn't just give up and say, well, we've been in a family feud for years. And it's never going to get better. We're just the Hatfields and the McCoys. <laughs> and let's just kill each other when we get a chance. Uh, and I think society's driving us in a, in a direction that says, 
you really should take a look at each other again. Well, I, th- I think if we're honest about the, even the history, the development of, of that, the, the Reformation, um, it didn't have to have gone the, it, to the way that it did. You know, Luther and, and well, maybe the other ones were kind of real more anti-Roman, but 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 Luther was not anti-Catholic in the sense that I mean, he's talking about the Eucharist, he's talking about Our Lady, he's talking about all these you know sacramental understanding of the world. He, I mean, he was speaking the Catholic language. I think what it was that there was a it was just a, a horrible time. The devil chose this time, right? You know, for division because uh, the 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 political sphere was such the the, the papacy was weak. Uh, the there was you know distances and misunderstandings and miscommunications. There were language differences. There were there were uh, various cultural things swimming around at the at the time. It, it certainly wasn't all theological. No, it certainly was not. no. And a matter of fact, I think that had the Council of Trent, which eventually got called, had been called a lot sooner, and the Church had really taken to heart the some of some of the legitimate critiques that Luther uh, brought up, uh, and especially the disciplinary uh, abuses. That that we have since corrected, you know. And of course, you you shouldn't be selling uh, indulgences and selling. Uh, of course, you shouldn't be doing that, you know. So if if we had been a little bit more um, on top of it, uh, leadership wise, um, perhaps the, the the split could have been avoided. And the true because ref- we've always had the uh, the understanding ecclesia semper reformanda est. The church is always in need of reformation. Mm. We've always, we're not afraid of confronting our own demons. We do it every day, the examination of conscience. So that's what a council kind of is. And, and it should have been called earlier, but right. it wasn't. Right. Okay. And but why we did don't God have allow to continue it? living in right. mistakes from the past. We, can, we should be crossing this bridge because yes. what, what we're doing, and here's part of the, the problem, uh, is that in a pluralistic society where everybody has like, well, this is my, my truth. I'm going to live my <laughs> truth now. All that it does when Christians are arguing the way we are yeah. is it's reinforcing that mindset. And mm-hmm. so rather than having being tied to absolute reality and truth mm-hmm. and the essentials of, of truth. Now there's lots of truths that are, uh, you know, between vanilla and strawberry ice cream is, you know, has different flavors, but there's an essential of that doesn't change that there's ice cream. It's still milk and yeah, sugar. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of what ice cream's going to be. Ice cream's not going to be made out of uh, beef. Right. Right. So that I don't know if anyone's going to follow that ridiculous. I follow. It's, it's, okay, it's, okay. it's legit. That's a legitimate. Uh, so, so we've got to get to some of those essentials. So that's uh, part of why we, we have to be careful though of reductionism. I see that a lot though. Yes, we these can't. Days. We can't uh, become what I like to call ecumenical mush. Yes. Well, as if doctrine doesn't matter. Right. Of course it matters. It matters deeply. You know, we, we're doing, uh, we, we've, done, we've done that patristics in prayer where we've studied the Fathers of the Church and we studied St. Athanasius. And he wrote it. A t- Thanks be to God, St. Athanasius, contra mundi, right? right. St. Athanasius against the world. Thanks be to God he did that because now we have Orthodox Christianity or your Orthodox faith. Right. And we use that in the, in the little O. Big, little, uh, whatever. Just like there's a little C Catholicism, there's a little o orthodoxy. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I need to throw out a few more credentials that, of reasons why to trust David Carter. He can fly airplanes. That, yes. I mean, that, that feels like a... Single engine, land-based. 
but but you Pistol can fly driven. them. You can fly them. Non-complex. Non-complex. And VFR you, only. You know, you could do airplane tours, or you could do Latin airplane tours, uh, where you teach people Latin simultaneously <laughs> while flying. Yeah. Right. And, and you don't right. land the plane until they grasp something that you want them to grasp so the pressure makes them learn latin faster that could be Just yeah think if about you, it. you're going to be jumping out of this airplane unless you can answer the yes uh, yes get your conjugations which down, way yeah. are you getting down yes. by the plane landing or being pushed out with your parachute <laughs> yes but by the way, I'm not allowed as a just a VFR non-commercial pilot uh, to um, get paid for giving people flights. I have to I have to pray, uh, pay my pro rata share. See, Latin comes into even, oh. even mm. every day. My so I have to pay my percentage. If I'm one of four, I have to pay a quarter. So you can't charge people to fly, but can no. you charge them for the Latin lessons in midair? Oh, well, there you go. See, this is this is yes. always a, a way around, yes. a loophole. See, right? I've got it for you. I'm I've I've caused the next. You should be a lawyer. Lawsuit, <laughs> yes. Um, and you you do so know. So I'm also I'm also a canon lawyer. Okay, yeah. about that too. Yes. So you tell them tell them what a canon lawyer is. <laughs> you you do, the, do legislation over canons the, and yes, so, we, so we, howitzers, you know, uh, yeah. Napoleonic. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. So canon law, canon, like the canon of scripture, the rule, the measure. And so the the church has a billion people worldwide. We we've been around for two thousand years. Uh, we've made a, a decision or two. We, we, you know, there are certain ways that we, as a body, as a as a whole, are expected to live out the gospel message, and 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 that's codified. And so we have a, a corpus juris canonici, so a body of canon law, and we have a, a codex juris canonici. Now, a, a codicil law is a legal term, but we have a, 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 a statutes. You know, things that we follow. They say, hey, if you belong to the Catholic Church, well, then you kind of do it this way. And that's what I was sent to study to help uh, the diocese and my bishop uh, to have good governance in the diocese and to help uh, the people of God uh, work their way through their difficulties and differences uh, and and arrive at at good um, equity. An example of this would be if somebody's getting a divorce, you guys would... Well, that's what it's most known for, okay. right? It's, it's 110 canons out of 1,752, but it, it is the thing that, that occupies the most of the time of, of canonists in the churches is, what is my status? If, if I have uh, made vows to my, my spouse uh, and then we are no longer living those vows because something has happened... Uh, you know, right. we, we've separated, and now the state has has chimed in and, and, give, and granted a, a, a divorce. Uh, you know, it's a, a degree of uh, a decree of divorce. Um, then the person who stands before the church, though, knowing that the state of Tennessee uh, doesn't doesn't speak for God, right. uh, and when you stand before God and say "I do," God holds you to it. Let no man put asunder what right. you know, right? Uh, what God has joined together. Uh, well, then we say, well. Did God join it together? What do we understand marriage to be? What did what, what does natural law tell us? What what does divine revelation tell us? What do the scriptures say to us? Uh, and of course, Jesus is going to say the man who divorces a wife and, and marries another commits adultery unless the marriage is unlawful. Well, what's an unlawful marriage? Well, we've got two thousand years of history and thought and, and and philosophy and theology and anthropology and sociology all put together to say, well, this is what marriage is. And this is what marriage is not. And so a declaration of nullity is basically saying, 
What you did on the day of your wedding did not arise to the level of a sacramental binding, indissoluble union that 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 God said, "Do not put us under." Right. That and so we, it's a legal process, needing proof and evidence and testimony and witnesses and all that kind of stuff, because on the last day we don't want to stand before God and say, "Yeah, we put us under that which you had joined together," and He's going to say, "Oh, did you?" <laughs> mm. So, so we, we, with. I always say that we approach marriage vows like Moses approached the burning bush. We take our shoes off. This is holy ground. And we dare not undo what God, or pretend to undo what God put together. Right. So that's what a declaration of nullity is. Gosh, we might have to go back into the topic of marriage after this. But okay, right. so we've got that you... You were trained in Rome at, at in the Vatican. Well, no, okay, yeah, so it's the right. No, not in the Vatican. Uh, the Vatican is a small little space place okay. in Rome, right outside the Vatican in the American College. Or so something I like lived that. for four years just on the next hill over, which okay. in view of the Vatican Hill okay. and Vatican City and all that stuff. And then I lived downtown next to the the Trevi Fountain, both at the North American College. They have a priest house and a seminary, and I was at the seminary and then the priest house. But I studied at the Pontifical Gregorian University, mm. which is the Roman college uh, that St. Ignatius of Loyola founded, with a little bit of historical, well, it, they got suppressed for a little while, and then they refounded it. But anyway, that's that's another story. Um, so I, I was educated by the Jesuits at the Gregorian University in Rome, both for my theology and my canon law. Wow. <laughs> educated by the Jesuits, but not a Jesuit. No, 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 no. Right. No, diocesan priest. So, so trained in Rome. Of my you know your Latin. You know some Greek. Right. You know your Italian. Macerto. And your Spanish. Espanol. You sometimes do uh, masses in Spanish, correct? Every Sunday. Yeah. And you can fly airplanes. And he's an Eagle Scout. Yeah. I, that's right. He's an Eagle that's Scout. That's where I get on my start. He, yeah. And uh, is there any other credential that, and a canon lawyer? I think we've got him now. Do any other fun facts that uh, we should know about why in the world we should trust you I don't know. as a priest? Okay. Well, then that that is our... <laughs> I don't know if that's why you trust me as a priest. Eagle Scout, how could you go wrong? How could you go wrong? He's like, where's an American flag all the time? That's, that's awkward. Okay. We're going to stop right there for episode one and come back with more of David Carter in episode two on this season of a season two of a Beautiful Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. The Chattanooga House of Prayer is a nonprofit ministry based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we are seeking the transformation of our city through unified prayer, worship, and action. I want to give a special thank you to those of you who give generously to this ministry. We have just learned over the years that many hands make light work, and it is because of you that we can continue this important mission. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit chathop.org. That's C-H-A-T-T-H-O-P dot org slash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on your social media, and tag us at Chattanooga House of Prayer. Thanks again for listening.